Good morning, folks. Uh, let's pray. I just, Lord, we come before you now to give the next 30 or 40 minutes to you, Lord, to the reading of your word and to understanding it and to applying it. I thank you for this word that we're going to get into and for the congregation that is here to hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you know that Mother's Day is one of the most attended Sundays of the whole year. It's right up there with Christmas and Easter, Mother's Day is, and attendance in church, that goes. Uh, Father's Day actually is, is on the other end of the spectrum. It's one of the days that um, is not well attended. Church, uh, churches aren't full on Father's Day. But uh, I look around today here in Colony Christian Church, um, not today, not this Father's Day, because uh, we're doing quite well. So I'm excited that there are a good number of men that are here putting God first in their lives on this day. They have specifically decided to come to church on Father's Day when we could be doing a lot of other things. You know, a, a father has a big responsibility. There's a lot of things that a father has to do and a lot of things that a father has to survive through and live through. This uh, past couple of weeks in my life, I've, I've uh, faced some things that are a little bit hard to get over. I had to buy one of my children a cell phone, which I am totally against. And I know she's 18 years old um, and she's going to college though, so I, I, I gave her a cell phone and uh, she doesn't want me to tell anybody that, and she's probably not going to use it at all. Um, but uh, she probably won't, actually. Um, but that was a big step for me. Another thing is, one of my daughters is getting married. And I feel like I'm losing kids. You know, a father's job is rough. There's a big responsibility. You know, first of all, we've got to take care of our children's physical needs. Now, we have to provide them a house to live in, and we have to provide them with food so that they can eat. And to do those things, that means that you have to be a good coworker. You have to be able to work with other people at a job because we have to make money to provide a house and a food. We have to maintain relationships at work with the boss, or we have to be able to work uh, well on our own by ourselves if we have our own business. We have to maintain that relationship to provide the physical needs. We have to provide safety for our kids. That means we have to be wise at making decisions on how to keep our kids safe, uh, when and what we... Um, are going to let them do, and uh, we have to teach them how to be safe. We have to protect them physically if they need it. We need to be able to teach them the things to do that are good. Now, mothers help out with that, teaching them how to be safe, but that doesn't let the fathers off the hook. You have to take care of your children emotionally and spiritually as well. That means you need to create good relationships with your children. You can't be too soft. You 
can't be too hard. And you have to maintain good relationships with their mother as well. As a dad, you have to manage all kinds of relationships. Relationships with your boss, with your wife, with your kids, with your kids' teachers, with your kids' friends and boyfriends, and so on, and girlfriends. The most important relationship, though, that you have to manage is your relationship with the Lord your God. Fathers, your relationship with Jesus will impact your children more than any other relationship that you have. The Lord should be the master of your life. And God's authority needs to come from you, through you, to your children. So, for instance, if you break a window with your slingshot when you're a kid, and uh, your mom told you that you could shoot your slingshot as long as you be careful and don't break any windows out, and you break the window out, then she might say something like, oh, wait till your father gets home. So there's a sense of authority behind your father. uh, And respect. Now, uh, the authority and respect that you might feel at that moment when your mother says that to you, uh, sometimes we might say that's fear. We feel fear. But that's not just because the discipline that he will deal out to you when he gets home. It's because he has authority. And you know that when he gets home, he's going to straighten things out. Everything's going to get straightened out. He'll know what to do with the window, know how to fix it so that you don't freeze in the wintertime because of an open window. He'll make your mother be at peace again. Even if you get grounded or your slingshot is taken away, it'll be much better than if dad wasn't there to fix the window and make mom happy. Now someday, our children are going to be adults. And they're probably going to break a window once in a while. Will they be thinking, just wait till my Heavenly Father comes back? Is that what they'll be thinking? Now, they could be thinking that in, in, in two ways. They could be thinking, boy, I have fear in my life. And when Jesus comes back, I'm not going to be ready because God is this mean, angry God that's abusive. And so I'm I'm not wanting him to come back. Or they could be thinking, boy, when Jesus comes back, he's going to straighten everything out. Oh, I I might get a little bit of straightening out myself, but the window's going to be fixed and Mama will be made happy. Fathers, if you've made it a habit to submit to God's authority, and if you've taught your kids about the blessings that come from submitting to to Him, then they should have a healthy expectation of Jesus coming back. He's coming to straighten everything out. If if you uh, brought your children up in the way of the Lord, then they will know that they are His children, God's children. 
So they have nothing to fear when he comes back or when they get to see him. We want our kids to fear the Lord in a respectful way, not to fear him as in an excessively punishing entity. That leads to hopeless feelings if they look at God in an excessive excessive way that he is just there to make our lives miserable. They might grow up thinking, boy, there is no way that I can do anything right. There's no way that I can please God. And, and like I said, that leads to a, a hopeless feeling. Now, have you ever felt hopeless in your life? Now, there's the big kind of hopeless. And I think the, the, the little things from day to day um, we experience can, can help us understand how to deal with the larger things in life. Just just this past week, uh, at my house, we've had kind of a, a father-kid uh, project going on for the last six months. We've purchased a boat. I, I bought a boat about six months ago, and it was, it was pretty cheap, and it's a fairly nice boat. The engine was frozen cracked, and so that's why it was cheap. I knew it would be a project, and so we bought it, and it's... it's uh, it's got this big V8 motor in it, and, and it was a process of rebuilding it. And well, th just this past week, we got it to the point to where it was time to start it. And all the rebuilding and work on it, and we started up and it ran perfect. And uh, Flint and I, it was just him and I, I was so excited about this boat. And uh, I was pulling it with a skid steer because we have an attachment with a ball hitch on the skid steer so I could move it to the driveway where we could hook the garden hose up to it. And when I went to set it down in my dad's driveway to pull the ball hitch underneath of it, it started to roll, and the driveway goes downhill and ends in a very deep ditch that must be six feet deep, and it's, it's pretty wide. And so I let it out, and the boat begins to roll because it has one of those wheels on the jack of the hitch. Spent all winter working on this really nice boat, and we're going to take it out this week. And Flint and I... We're just watching it roll down the driveway. I was stuck in the skid steer, strapped in, and it only goes so fast. And I was trying to speed up to catch it so that I could get the ball back up in the hitch so I could stop it. And, you know, that sounds impossible. And the Flint, um, I was telling him not to pull on an extension cord five minutes later, and he was holding an extension cord that was still attached to the boat. Now I'm screaming at him, pull on the extension stop it. And he's pulling as hard as he can. And our nice boat is rolling. And I know it's going to crash into the ditch and push the stern drive through the fiberglass. And it was just a feeling of hopelessness. Going to lose everything that we had worked so hard on. Listen, we don't want our children to feel like that. I mean, if my boat would have been crunched, no big deal. It's a silly boat. But we're talking about life. You don't want your children to watch their life roll away and feel like all will be lost. You want them to know that God is a good father. And when their world feels out of control, he's there for them. And he has the ultimate control. So fathers, we have a great responsibility to our kids. This Father's Day, I want to focus on the responsibility to 
commission them. To give our children a commissioning. The dictionary, uh, dictionary.com definition of commission is to entrust a person with a supervisory power or authority to authorize, to send on a mission. Fathers, it's your job to commission your children. Now today we're going to look at 1 Timothy. You can turn in your scriptures to that if you would like. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And we're going to exegete, exegete this scripture. Now what does exegete mean? It means that we are going to uh, pull it out of, uh, out of the, the place of being just words on the page and see what it means, what the original author meant it, and how it applies to our lives. So we're going to dive in and look at this scripture. Um, this is Paul, and he is writing a letter to Timothy, uh, and he gives Timothy a commissioning. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 1. 1 Timothy. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I'm writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Now, if we look at what all this means, first thing that we notice is that Paul identifies himself. He is an apostle. I'm an apostle. And he's not an apostle because he says so. He's not an apostle because another Christian wrote him a really good reference letter. And he's not an apostle because of his history. Because we know that Paul has not the best history. He's an apostle because God appointed him to be one. In this verse, Paul says, I have been commissioned by God to do his work. Paul's commissioning is so cool. He was going one way, and he was fighting against God's plan, and God whacks him, and he can't see, and then he's raised up through a series of events that God illustrated and orchestrated. And then he is given this commissioning, this purpose, this mission. And he says, and he says to Paul, this is what I need you to do. And all through Paul's life, he's given him things to do. Paul says, hey, I'm writing this letter to Timothy, who is my true son in the faith. True true son in the faith. Now, what does a true mean in the scripture? True, true son. Well, true in other versions use the word legitimate or genuine. This isn't a play on words to make it sound good. Paul isn't saying I'm true son to make to make you uh, think that it's a poetic thing. No, no. This is a serious, a real entitled uh, titling that he's giving Timothy. You are my true son in the faith. It makes me think of when we say church family. 
We talked about our, our church family. We're going to a church family camp out. Uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ that we worship with each Sunday. And you know, that, that's an endearing term, but we shouldn't take it lightly. We should take it seriously that we are church family. If you don't have a father, look around. There's men here who would love to take the opportunity to help you in your spiritual walk. We are a church family. And since Paul is talking about the family unit, when he says, Timothy, my true son in the faith, he puts it all into perspective by putting himself under God the Father. He says, may God the Father bless you. May God the Father Capital T, capital H, capital E. Because there's a lot of fathers in this world, and Paul recognizes that Father God is the ultimate father, the father whom we must, uh, we must follow and model our lives after. So this first part of Timothy uh, gives us a really good example of how we should commission our kids. Notice that the first thing that Paul does after identifying himself and putting himself under the authority of God is he gives Timothy a blessing. All blessings come from God, and they can absolutely come from God through people like Paul or like other fathers. Now, I think a blessing is necessary before we commission anyone, especially our children. Now, let's talk about a blessing. Paul gives Timothy a blessing. This is the, the how. How am I going to be doing this thing that I'm commissioned to do? It is through what we give as a blessing. Grace, mercy, and peace. Paul says, Timothy, may God bless you with grace, mercy, and peace. Grace, because Paul knows that Timothy is going to need grace, that Timothy is not going to be perfect. He is a person. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to say stupid things. He's going to not do the right thing at the right time when he's ministering to people, when he is leading the church and when he's telling them about Jesus. He is going to need grace. Thankfully, our Lord Jesus gives us that grace. And he's going to need mercy. Paul blesses him saying, the Lord give you mercy and peace. Paul knew firsthand that peace is not the normal thing that people looking on to his life would say that Paul had. Paul had anything but peace from the outside. Uh, stonings and, and beatings and prison, and that's not peace. But inside, he knew where his eternity lay. And he tells Timothy, this is a blessing from God. You will have peace. Paul knows. Paul knows. And he has received all three of these things, grace, mercy, and peace. And he can give this blessing because he knows how it works. And he has a background of faith. Now, fathers, if you bless your kids from a place of faith, 
it will be life-changing for them. Now, they may not know it now. When you are giving your children a blessing, they, it may take until they are adults to realize how much it actually means to them. Now, if I personally, if I were to troubleshoot, diagnose, and rebuild the electrical system on, on a fuel-injected engine, and um, my dad told me that I did well, then, then guess what happens? Well, I'm going to stand up a little bit straight. My chest is going to puff out a little bit because I feel like I can rebuild a NASA spaceship after that. Why? It's not because I rewired a fuel-injected engine, no. But because the master of troubleshooting electrical systems gave me his blessing. Paul was a master of faith. He had reason before he believed in Jesus to doubt his faith. He had reason after his conversion to give away his faith because of the beatings and the, the, the turmoil that happened. But he held on to it because he was a master at putting his faith in Jesus. He could give this blessing to Timothy in a serious way. And Timothy could accept it, knowing that it came from a foundation of a faithful man. I like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20 and 21. Here we have verses that talk about uh, men giving a blessing to younger men from a foundation of faith. It says, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future to his sons, Jacob and Esau. And it was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Hmm. How beautiful is it that these men, these men that had lived by faith, oh, again, they weren't perfect. Jacob wasn't a man who led a perfect life at all. But he had seen God work in his life. And at the end of it, he, he crossed his arms and he put his hands on his grandkids' heads and offered them a blessing. Blessings, by the way, should be intentional. We should intentionally give our kids blessings. And we should make it special if we're actually talking about doing the thing of giving a blessing, um, you think, how would that be done? Well, uh, maybe it can be a ceremony. Maybe you can bless your kids by uh, doing something like uh, creating a special time and a special environment. And, and maybe you've read some things about that, and it seems kind of weird, lighting candles around in a room or getting by a fire or maybe... Um, rubbing uh, mud on your face to look manly and, and getting your young boys to do that. It sounds all kind of weird and awkward to give that blessing, but you know what? That'll help them remember it. Remember that time that Dad did those weird things and then he prayed over us? And he said scripture and applied that scripture and said that will come true in their lives? And he said that he knows that because he reads it in scripture and has faith that it'll happen? That was kind of weird how he did that, but maybe what he said is, is the real deal. 
A background of faith is so important. Jacob knew God. He knew what God could do. We need fathers who know who God is and what he can do. We need them to give blessings to their kids. So having a background of serious faith enables you to give a great blessing. Now, I don't want to overcomplicate this blessing thing too much. You can bless your children by reminding them of who they are in Christ. It's as simple as using Scripture. Scripture says that they are loved, that they are uh, God's children ultimately, that they have purpose and that they are forgiven and that he has a great plan for them. You could use scripture like Jeremiah 29. This is a really good scripture that you can um, use. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 10 says, you know, this is what the Lord says. It says you will be in Babylon uh, for uh, 70 years. And basically this is, um, this is what you can tell them. Hey, you're going to be in a place that has a war going on. You're going to be a place in your life when you get older where things are difficult and people are fighting and arguing and things are difficult. But then uh, God will come for you and save you from that because he has good plans for you just as he has promised in the future and he'll bring you home again. Uh, you can tell them the same thing that Jeremiah says, um, that you know the plans that God has for them and those plans are good and not for disaster to give them a future and a hope. Speaking of that hope again, we do not want our kids to go into life without hope. You can bless them saying, man, in those days when you pray, when things are difficult, God will listen because his word says, if you look for God wholeheartedly, you will find him. God says, I will be found by you. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. Now, isn't that cool to think about our kids coming home again? Now, not to our physical homes, which that could be a good thing sometimes, and sometimes that could be a not a good thing when our kids get old and they have their own ways and doing things and they drink your milk without using a glass. And but the kind of going home that it's talking about here is the home that we are awaiting after this life. So don't make it over complicated. Remember the blessing that Paul gives Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace. And remember that it is from the Lord through Paul. Now, after you've given a blessing, after a father has blessed his child, then they need to have a mission. This is the second part of giving them a commission. A mission. So if a blessing is how they were going to do it, how they are going to have the energy and the ability to do it is the blessing, then the mission is what they are going to do specifically. What are they going to do? They have a mission. Now, uh, verses 3 and 4 of our text today say, When I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. 
Don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations which don't help people live a life of faith in God. Like Paul, Paul got these folks that he's telling Timothy he has to deal with. These folks, uh, you know, he started the church there and he's got them all started and, and on the right track. And then Paul left and it was like the, the, the timing chain had slipped a couple of teeth. I can use that illustration because it's Father's Day. So basically in an internal combustion engine, if the timing chain slips, then there's a lot of different things going on in the engine. They're supposed to be going on at just the right time so that the engine can run, but if there's no timing, then there is spark going on in the exhaust stroke, and the pistons are injected with fuel at the wrong time, and it just doesn't work. The engine won't fire all except for the occasional explosion in the exhaust pipe from all the unburnt fuel vapors. It doesn't work. So these people that Paul had started, something, they had, uh, they had let their faith slip, that let their relationship with God slip, and now they're all out of whack, and they don't know what they're doing. They were set to do God's work. And so he says to Timothy, says to Timothy, tell them, tell them to rebuild their relationship with me. Stop the false teachers, the teaching of other doctrines. Now, how does this apply to today? If we were Timothy and Paul was telling us to stop the false teachers, how would we stop the false teachers? Well, obviously that's uh, a subject for another sermon, but I'm just going to say that the best way that we can stop false teachers is probably not by arguing, but it would be better done by living a life of an example. Like living the life abundantly, having such a positive and optimistic attitude, an attitude that is not bothered by every little bitty thing that others would want to have what we have. Uh, later on in, in the book of Timothy, Paul, tells, Paul tell, tells Timothy to gently um, discuss, gently correct, and uh, gently lead them to the good news. Here he says, uh, Timothy, um, these guys are uh, wasting their time on myths, on spiritual pedigrees, on genealogies. And all these things cause speculation. So you get a picture of these guys. They, are, uh, they have gotten so off track that they're discussing whose genealogy is the best. Man, well, I come from this line of folks. Uh, this guy is my great-granddad. and Well, this guy is mine. And, and that's where their uh, salvation was stemming from, their genealogies. And Paul says all these things cause speculation. You know, what is speculation? Speculation is the forming of a theory or conjecture without firm evidence. The forming of a theory or conjecture without firm evidence. 
Well, they had the evidence. Paul gave it to them. But they weren't using that to lead the church. They were speculating on their own, coming up with their own ideas, trying to figure it out themselves. Paul says this is meaningless. Meaningless speculation doesn't help people with their faith. And remember that faith in God, by the way, is active. Faith is an action word. James says uh, faith must produce good deeds. Faith and action. You know, young men love action, and I think young ladies do too. Every young person must have a mission. I think it's true that uh, our kids get super excited about life when they have a mission. Mm. Now, if we were to put this into perspective, giving a blessing is like giving a kid a saddle. Would you give a kid a saddle for his birthday or for Christmas and not expect him to ride a horse? No, I don't think so. If you give him a saddle, then somewhere there's a horse to be ridden, whether it's out back or it's at the barn down the road. If you give your child a fishing pole, well, there's a fish to be caught somewhere. You're saying to them, go catch the big one. If you give them a ball bat, well, they know there's some home runs to be hit. The blessing, it equips them for a mission. So don't just give them a blessing without a mission, like giving a saddle without a horse. You have to give them a mission to follow. I like the mission that David gives to his son Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 2, he tells Solomon, uh, Take courage and be a man. Listen to God and follow all of his ways. Keep the decrees and commands and regulations and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow, my, follow me faithfully with all of their heart and soul, then one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. That's pretty cool because if one of the Lord's followers are sitting on the throne of Israel, then Israel's going to be all right. And then David tells his son Solomon, there's something else. So after giving the main mission to Solomon, he says, oh, by the way, and a few more things. And I don't know for sure about Solomon, but uh, I just imagine that at this point, Solomon's like, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. And then David says, oh, and something else. And Solomon's like, what, what really? Really? And he's listening. And David says, um, here's what I want you to do. There was this guy that murdered my two army commanders. Get him. And we're thinking, wow. So one of his missions is not only to make sure that I am listening to God in all his ways, but I need to go after this other guy that was an enemy to my father and to get him. David says, yes. David says, and another thing. 
Be kind to the sons of Barzilla of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I was in need. So not only is Solomon uh, missioned to do to take out this one guy who was an enemy to his dad, but he was commissioned to be kind to his dad's friends, the ones who helped out his dad. And that's pretty cool, if you ask me. When you commission your child, give them the main reason for the mission, and then give them a few details to get them excited. Like, go get that one guy. Or show kindness to these guys. Or like Paul did for Timothy when he told him to stop the false teachers. He didn't just tell him to stop the false teachers. He says, don't let them waste their time arguing about meaningless things. Jesus gives us so many blessings in Scripture. So many blessings. The ultimate blessing is being forgiven from our sin and having a place in heaven. And he tells us that that we are blessed with all of these things, including heaven and forgiveness. And then he follows it with a mission. Go and make disciples. And that's where every mission that you give your kids should lead to. Whatever mission you send them on, make sure it leads to making disciples of Jesus. So we have a blessing and a mission. And the third part of commissioning our children is a reason. This is the uh, result of our mission when they complete it. This is why they should do the mission that we are commissioning them to do. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Love. Purpose is to be filled with love, serious love, serious love, love that goes out of its way to get the one that leaves the flock, love that gives the shirt off its back to help someone that's in need, love that goes out of the way, and love that washes feet, and love that forgives, and love that protects and provides Serious love, like Jesus loves us. Love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. Pure heart, clear conscience, genuine faith. Paul tells his true son in the faith that the whole reason for your mission is love. If you don't show them love, and teach them love from a pure heart, clear conscience, and genuine faith, fathers, then you will miss the point. Verse 6. Paul says, But some people have missed this whole point. They have turned away from these things and spend their time in meaningless discussions. They want to be known as teachers of the law of Moses. They don't know what they're talking about, even though they're, they speak so confidently. You know, some people's heads grow instead of their hearts. Their faith doesn't grow, but their, their heads grow. And that's what Paul is saying 
here. They're becoming confident about their speaking. They speak confidently. You ever know the guy that always speaks confidently about whatever he says? Everything he says, he says is true or as a fact. Well, after a while of hearing that, um, you start thinking, maybe nothing this guy says is true if they're always super confident. And then after this, he says something that's very interesting to me. He brings in the law, which Paul likes to do that, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and he talks about that. But in verse 8, he says, We know that the law is good when used correctly, for the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father and mother or commit murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. Is interesting here. We know that the law is used is good when used correctly. Correctly. So the old covenant with the old law is good if used correctly. The law was not intended for people who do what is right. It was for, and he says here, the immoral and the homosexuals and the slave traders and the liars and the promise breakers. Anything that contradicts the good news. And that doesn't really make sense to me at first. But you know, there weren't speed limits in the 1800s in our country. At least they weren't uh, 70 miles per hour. I don't think they made uh, roads that would take that kind of speed. Well, they didn't make horses that would go that fast pulling a wagon. Uh, maybe some horses go that fast, but I don't think it was common. They didn't need speed limits then. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says, The law shows us our sin. Sometimes we don't understand what we're doing wrong until we hear the law from God. And that's the way that it is good, and it can be used correctly. Now, if we are living a life of faith, and we are doing what God is telling us to do, obedience, then we don't need the law because God's already guiding us. But if we're outside of the law and his love, then we need his mercy and grace and salvation, which all of us would agree that we need his mercy, grace, and salvation. The good news is salvation in Jesus Christ. And that is our reason for being on mission and it's also the ultimate blessing. So today, fathers, I commend you for your kingdom work in raising your kids and for holding the line of faith, for believing in the one and true Father God and for giving your life to him. 
don't forget to bless your children, to give them a mission, and to show them the reason for their mission. Let me pray for you right now. Lord God, our Father, Lord who is in heaven and not only that, who lives in us, I pray that you will strengthen us to be good fathers, to be kingdom workers, God, to live true to your mission and to be strong in raising our children. Lord, I thank you for our fathers here on earth that have raised us to know where true north is. That's you, God. And to understand the blessings that you've given us, the blessings of eternal life. Lord, we put our faith in you, we trust you, and ask for your continual guidance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.